0: Det är den bästa Carlsson. Carlsson, Carlsson. Höj här kommer Carlsson. Carlsson, Carlsson. Ingen faktiskt ingen annan Carlsson spelar så bra som mig. Carlsson, Carlsson. Carlsson scores. Carlsson. Carlsson.
1: Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to another
0: episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys' own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrowski, and with me, as always, the fantasy hockey robot, Brian Kamm.
1: Hello, everybody. Hello, Elon. Thanks for bearing with us through some technical difficulties to start the show. If you're watching this on the YouTube feed which is never as good as the edited show that Elon makes sound so much prettier. So uh, forget that I mentioned the YouTube feed if you didn't know about it and just enjoy the show. (laughs) <laughs> what an intro for the 5% of people watching live
0: versus everyone listening that have no idea what you're talking about. But yeah, you could join us live every week. We are live right now on YouTube. You can go to keepingcarlson.com slash live next week. But let's get on with the show, Brian. I'm so excited. We have so much to talk about this week before we get into it. Of course, let's mention that we are presented by Dabberhockey.com It's the best fantasy hockey website out there. This is not hyperbole. I really feel this way. They've got everyday daily ramblings, just discussing all of the action from the night before and their thoughts. They've got this like really cool article I don't think we've ever mentioned, looking ahead to next week week every week they sort of talk about which teams are the best bets and which teams to steer clear from based on schedule next week by the way brian boston plays five times so it might be a good chance to get at least like a lot of blocks from like a brandon carlo if he's available sometimes the scores slow down also they've got the real-time line combos starting goalies
1: what a great sight what a great sight i have mentioned that so many times elon on the show before <laughs> which just reinforces the fact that you never listen to what i have to say
0: all your comments so far brian have been amazing <laughs> all right <laughs> Doverhockey.com. Check it out. Let's get. Oh, here's another thing now that you can disparage me about, because, Brian, we have a bet before we get into our content. Maybe I should just say set the table here. Our plan for this episode. We want to talk about a lot of players on cold streaks that we've been asked about. Should I drop this guy? Should I drop this guy? It's, it's time to really like dig into some of these guys. We'll also talk about some players doing well. We're going to start the show with cold streaks before we get into that. I want to talk about the bet we made, Brian. Every season we have one last year. I really messed up and thought that Nick Bjogstad would be better than Alex Barkov. That was dumb. The year before that, though, you really messed up because you told me that I shouldn't keep Joe Pavelski and I should keep Paul Stasny instead. But here we go. We finally have one in the books. A patron, Alexis, asked on our Facebook group, who do you prefer, Bobrovsky or Mason for wins, goals against average, save percentage, and shutout? I right away answered saying, Bob, for sure. And then Brian came in and said, I think Steve Mason. I said, Brian, you're crazy. Want to bet? He said, let's do it. Here we go. So far, Bobrovsky off to an amazing start on the year. He had that crazy 10-0 shutout of the Habs. Poor Montoya, by the way, didn't get pulled. Anyway, currently, Bobrovsky has a 947 save percentage. Meanwhile, Steve Mason has sat the last four games for Philadelphia, though... I should mention Neuwerth had a stinker yesterday against those same Habs that Bobrovsky shut out. So maybe Mason will be getting another chance to improve on his 878 save percentage. I think I'm going to win this bet, Brian.
1: Well, first off, I want to tell you and everybody listening how gracious a person I am to have accepted your bet. (laughs) I've never, ever had a bet that I proposed accepted by you. So one of us needs to be the one who takes a risk every now and then for the sake of our listeners' entertainment. And if that puts me against the odds and I'm okay with it one request I have for you Elon, that I'm gonna make right live for everybody to hear will you make the starting date today for our bet
0: oh yeah for sure that's fair or the day that we uh the day that we made which I don't think either goalie has played so it's fair sure starting today
1: okay starting today November 6th or something like that we have Bobrovsky versus Mason I think uh, Mason without Neuvirth would be a slam dunk but Neuvirth of course, is in the picture, and he just started four in a row. Elon, you said he just had a stinker. He's just had four and two-thirds of a stinker. (laughs) He's had save percentages below 900 in all of those starts, which makes me think, one, maybe Mason's injured right now. Two, maybe the Flyers are trying to showcase Neuwirth and doing a terrible (laughs) job of it. Or three, have for some reason, anointed him the starter, even though he clearly is not handling the workload the same way he was last year. I still have faith in Mason. I just don't know that with Neuwirth battling him for time is the right situation to succeed for him. Meanwhile, though, I do know that Bobrovsky is not going to be insanely amazing in high danger save percentage and penalty kill save percentage all season long, and that Columbus isn't going to continue winning games all season long. I'll get more into those reasons, though, later on in the show when we're talking about some players on hot streets. A lot of Columbus action this week. Okay, so we'll get to
0: it later. Something fun to follow along with. So, Brian, how does it work? It's like there's four categories. Wins, goals against average, save percentage, and shutouts. It's just whoever wins the most categories. And if it's 2-2, how do we break the tie?
1: Then we both win. Can't we both win?
0: Sure. Okay, I'm going to win 4-0 anyway, so it doesn't matter. Let's start with our content. Let's go to these cold streaks. I don't want to call them snoozers yet. That's another Keeping Carlson thing. The guys who you have on your roster that's time to drop. I don't want to call these guys snoozers because they're obviously stars. And we're talking about them because we expected so much from them. But these are people who people drafted with high hopes and they've let everybody down. We're over 12 games into the season for most teams. So let's see if we should be waiting on these guys or if it's time to like drop them or at least sell them. Let's start in Florida with Alex Barkov. Aforementioned Alex Barkov, the winner of the bet for you last year. We've been going nuts all season about Jonathan Marchessault, who has 12 points in 12 games. And we were high on him because we saw he's going to be on line one and power play one with Barkov and Yager. And he's delivered. But the funny thing is, he's been doing it while leaving his line mates in the dust. Points-wise, Barkov has zero goals and five assists in 12 games played, only 11 shots on goal. Yager, just one goal and four assists in 12 games. By the way, Yager is injured right now, lower body injury, apparently not serious. Anyways, what's up with Barkov? Let's talk about him. Is this just like bad luck? Does he have a low IPP? Do we still expect him to be a 60-plus point guy? I know we said we didn't think he was going to be a 70-point guy going into the year, but, but this is just ridiculous. Five points in 12 games?
1: Yeah, so last year, he averaged three shots on goal per game, and that was one of the reasons that I liked him so much all of last year. Then he started this season. He had nine shots in his first two games. Everything's great, even without Huberto. But then his next eight games, he had just six shots on goal, and that includes three games where he had zero. He did not put one puck on net, and that ended up with a lot of owners actually dropping him if the questions in our Facebook group are any indication. And it's a little odd that Barkov would take fewer shots on goal with Huberto out right? You figure, well, now he's got to be even more of a trigger man than before. But I suppose at the same time, why not defer to Jonathan Marcheseau, who'd been so hot for that whole stretch. Barkov's point scoring rate so far for this year, going looking beyond his shots, it's beneath his rookie season right now, where he had 24 points in 54 games. So yeah, by any measure, not a good year. His shots apparently are coming from eight feet further out than they were last year, though he's taken so few shots that it would be ridiculous to try and Make a meaningful conclusion out of such a small sample of shots on goal. Also, interesting, he has just one power play point on Florida's eight power play goals so far. The power play point leaders on Florida are Marshusow, Colton Sevier, and Jason Demers. They're the only guys with more than two power play points. None of them were Florida Panthers last year. Anyway, going back to Barkov, it's just too early to give up on him. He's really good. And I think that's all I can tell you right now. He has eight shots over his last two games so he started firing pucks on net again which is a positive sign beyond that there's nothing I can tell you except he's a really good hockey player and you need to bear with him there's no other choice if you drafted him you'd be a fool to let him go for nothing
0: yeah I wonder if this is going to be the answer to a lot of these guys at least maybe we could give a ranking as we go of how we rank these disappointing players but yeah a guy like Alex Barkov you can't drop him but at the same time man let's go Hey, at least he's doing well for Jonathan Marsh. So uh, let's sidetrack to Yager for a second. So Yager got injured. You mentioned Colton Sevier who played actually the most minutes on line one yesterday. Is there any value for Colton Sevier? He has eight points in 12 games now. Four, though, were from a hat-trick game against Detroit last week. He had three goals and assist in that game. I don't know, do you have any thoughts on Colton Sevier? And also, I should mention that two guys, Vjogstad and Jokinen, they're both going to be back soon. So I guess we don't even know how the lines are going to shake up. But it was Sevier on line one, like I said, with Jokur out. We also don't know how long Jokur will be out. So I guess all these lines are in flux right now.
1: Well, Colton Sevier has spent two full seasons in the NHL with Dallas, plus a little bit. And in those years, he's had about 25 points on average in 70 games played. He's a guy who, when he was with Dallas, he had some success when he got a turn on the top line who didn't. Uh, So there's some precedent that he can produce when paired with the right guys for enough time. That said, he has five goals on 20 shots, and that's something that's not going to sustain. And again, he's never even been a 30-point pace player this would be a new rule for him if he can stick in the top six. However, with some injuries about to outjury in Florida, I'm not sure that he's going to get that opportunity.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. And then I guess Yarmir Yager, like what's his value at this point? Like, like I said, he only has five points so far in 12 games, 25 shots on goal, at least over two shots a game. Uh, should people like be buying super low right now? I feel like if you want to get Yager, now's the time. He's injured. He hasn't been performing. Is it time to make a buy-low offer on Yager? Do you think there's any chance he could get back near the 66-point pace that he had last season?
1: If you think that he can get 66 points, you can buy low. But I, I think you're wrong. I think you're barking up the <clears> wrong tree. I think last year is going to be hard to follow up on for Yager. A lot of things going his way. Remember, he had 47 points the previous year. And so I expect this year for him to land somewhere in the middle of those two numbers. He's another year older, and his shooting percentage was so high last year. I expect him to be like 50, 55, and that would be a really positive season for him. Like I would not be disappointed at all if he doesn't break 55 points, although I think some of the people who drafted hoping for him to repeat those unsustainable percentages would be disappointed.
0: Brian, I think we might have a potential episode title here, Bark Coving Up the Wrong Tree. Oh, it just came to me. I guess that's why you come up with the episode titles usually. <laughs> but- I just
1: want to share, actually. Let me take this opportunity. When we talked about Worenski, not that we came up with a great one at the end, but you had this bizarre dude... Where's Enski my car, dude? Where Enski my cars? It was some bizarre. You split Warenski into like three parts and distributed it through the movie title of Dude, Where's My Car? Well, no, I was thinking more like Dude, Where Ends My Skis or something like that. I yes, that was actually it, which is I don't think as good as the one I just made
0: up. Yeah, you guys, you should know that Brian's the one who comes up with our great episode titles. Who knows what it'll be? Bark up the wrong tree so far. Let us know in the chat room if you think that's... Okay, let's go to Tampa Bay talk about a couple of guys who've gotten so many questions about andre palat and tyler johnson okay we've been talking about the tampa bay lines like all season long we've been trying to decide whether or not you should grab alex killorn or nemesnikov or brayden point and it seemed when we would look at these lines like being with johnson or palat was a good thing but like maybe that's not the case tyler johnson now has six points in 12 games which already isn't great and then Take into account the fact that two of those points came in his first two games, and then he had a two-goal game against Boston recently. So aside from those three games, we have one goal and one assist in nine games. So not a consistent performer at all. And then Andre Palat, like, even worse, only four points in 12 games. He's pointless in seven in a row now. And Palat's been playing on a line with, like, Kucherov and Stamkos. Like, there's no reason why Andre Palat, a former 60-plus point guy, should be having so few points. Both are former 60-plus point guys. Are they worth waiting on this year to get back? On track.
1: We have questions every day when there's a lot of players playing, like a busy night on the NHL schedule, and people want to know who should I sit, who should I start. We have that thread in the Facebook group for patrons every single time it happens, and everyone asks, should I start Palat tonight, unless a few other guys who aren't as good as Palat but who have produced more so far this year. And I know how bad Palat has been, and I'm always like, yes, just start him. Something good is going to happen, but then it never does. So I don't know why Palat isn't scoring, but I'm still not believing that it's something that's going to last. He's not a guy who shoots a lot or does much of anything else though. So if Palat is pointless, then he really is pointless for your fantasy team to have in your lineup. Like at this point, it might be better to try and get peripherals from somebody who you know is going to contribute to something for your team. Palat's rate stats this year are so far reflecting last year's numbers more than the great year he had before that which is a little bit unnerving, I suppose, but he's in such good situations that I still expect him to at least match last year's numbers. Johnson, similarly frustrating, only 17 shots in 12 games. And he's a guy who we really expect more than that from Paulette, one or two shots a game, not a big deal. That's part of the program. But for Tyler Johnson, it is not. And he's particularly concerning. His rates are way, way down for shot attempts and shots on goal even when you compare them just with last year's disappointing campaign, they're both really having a tough time at even strength and an even tougher time seeing the puck go in while they're on the ice, which is to say their on ice shooting percentages are too low to stay the way they are all year. But for two guys who really let down their fantasy owners last year, I can imagine how impatient people are starting to feel this time around, especially when paired with some poor numbers aside from those percentages. So 60 points, no longer a given for either one. I'd hope for 55 from both of them. And I think Palat got a better shot at that than Johnson until Johnson starts figuring out how to get shots on goal again. Wow,
0: yeah. So I'm taking it that you would rather Alex Barkov over either of those two guys? Absolutely. Alex Barkov for sure remember back when we were debating matthew saying in the chat room dauber said drop palat if there's someone better in your free agent pool and also julian said ain't i glad i targeted cooch out of the triplets like remember when we used to debate who's the best of the triplets between kucherov palat and johnson like kucherov so so amazing the other two just disappointing us last year now again this year all right i'm ready for the tweets brian bring it on everybody at keeping carlson let us know who you want to drop palat or johnson for let's move on see if we have someone even worse here i think we might I want to go now to St. Louis, another pair of struggling teammates. And now they did play today. Early in the year, we were lauding Stasny, Paul Stasny. I think it was on our first regular season episode. He had six points in his first three games, playing with Tarasenko and I think Alex Steen. Since then, only three points in his last nine games and actually make that 10 after today, even though St. Louis won five to one paul stasny didn't get a point meanwhile Jaden schwartz only three points in nine games since returning early from his injury scotty Upshaw has four points so Jaden schwartz is doing so far worse than scotty upshall schwartz at least on the top power play and he had a power play goal today which is good looks like stasny was actually bumped by a literal snoozer yori Latera. and i call him literal snoozer because brian you said last week that he bores you so much he puts you to <laughs> sleep but he's bumped paul stasny off the top power play So, okay, I'm going to guess that Schwartz, you're going to say, is not drop-worthy. He's on the top power play. He's playing with Tarasenko. He scored a power play goal today. I'm hoping things will get back on track. Paul Stasny, though, is it time to dump him for a hot center in free agency? Not on the top line, not on the top power play, not getting any points lately. I don't know, like we're going to get to some guys later, like Wenberg and Anisimov, some of these guys who have been showing up in free agency. Maybe it's already too late for them. And we'll talk about whether their production has been sustainable. But would you be dropping a Paul Stasny for one of those guys?
1: Out of all the guys we're going to talk about today, actually, there's a few guys coming up who I think are more snoozerish. But of the first batch that we're talking about, Stasny is probably the closest to it. It's worth looking at the bigger picture, though. St. Louis, as a team, are having a lot of trouble scoring goals. So going into today's game, in which they did score five goals, because they played against the Avalanche and Semyon Varlamov, they'd scored just one goal or less in six of their previous nine games played. And in one of those games, they needed overtime to get their second goal. So essentially, they went seven regulation-length games without scoring more than one goal. They have the fourth worst even-strength shooting percentage in the league, They're even struggling on the power play. So Stasny and Schwartz and literally everyone else on the roster are victims of this team-wide outage. And one possibility could be that they've drawn the sixth most penalties in the league. And of course, the more time you spend on the penalty kill, the less time you have to score goals. Another interesting thing is just the division in shot-taking between the top and the bottom. Going into tonight's game, Tarasenko had more than 40 and I think the next closest guy might have been Piran, who had like 23. So it's really Tarasenko or nobody doing anything right now in St. Louis. Although, of course, tonight's game was promising. Stasny's fall off, though, is a little tricky. Like, it's not that noticeable because you look at his line and your lineup and you see, OK, nine points in 12 games. He's doing fine. No problem. But he has only three of those points in his last 10 games after starting off the season so hot. I think you could cycle him out right now because his fantasy value is likely low in your format, but I don't think that this is the end of him. Like, Keep him on your watch list. He's been enough of a tease since moving to St. Louis that I don't know anyone will pick him up so you can safely drop him, but you should be watching for when things turn around. And I'd say the same thing for Jaden Schwartz going into tonight's game. He had one goal on 17 shots and no power play points despite seeing time on the first unit. The Blues only have seven power play goals and 44 opportunities so far this year, which is okay, but not great. I would rather hold Schwartz. If I had to pick one of the two guys, it would definitely be Schwartz. I'd have patience for him. And of course, it already paid off with his goal tonight, even though I still think both are generally worth rostering. It's so weird why Paul Stasny isn't centering Vladimir Tarasenko and isn't on the top power play unit It's just this weirdness, and again, I've mentioned this before about Stasny, is that he's a versatile player. Why not plug Yori Laterra in there? Because he might be totally useless elsewhere in the depth chart, while Paul Stasny can make himself useful regardless of where he plays and I think that works a little bit against him
0: makes sense like I think I agree with you like you could drop Stasny him to your watch list you don't even necessarily have to wait for him to put up production to add him back just wait for it to be announced that he's gonna be back playing with decent players like I'm looking at the lines from today they're getting shaken up every game so it might not be long before Stasny gets up there though maybe now they're gonna stick with it after this great five goal performance that was against Semyon Varlamov who we're gonna get to uh, in terms of these players on cold streaks but yeah today it was like Alex Steen with Perron and Patrick Berglin and then Tarasenko with Schwartz and Laterra, and then Stasny with Dimitri Yaskin and Robbie Fabri and then like I said it was Laterra, Schwartz, Steen and Tarasenko on the top power play so wait till you see Stasny playing with at least Alex Steen but preferably Vladimir Tarasenko preferably both like it was at the beginning of the year before I think you need to add him back let's move on Brian now let's go to Calgary people there's it's really funny actually preston here in the chat room after we talked about barkov and palat he said oh man they've already talked about two players on my cupful team i wonder if there's going to be any more than stasny he's like oh no three for three so yeah he's having a bit of trouble hopefully you don't have this guy sean monahan another person letting his owners down only four points in 13 games right now. Johnny Gojo, not that much better, only seven in 13 games. But Gojo, you know, he's a guy who I don't even want to talk about. Obviously, you can't drop Gojo. Monaghan, you know, he's been a 63 and 62 point guy in the past two seasons, which is really good, but you know, not amazing. And now that he is, you know, struggling, I'd curious to know where he fits in with these other guys in terms of guys that you might want to be dropping or benching or whatever.
1: Yeah, Monahan, four goals no assist. He's going for the Cy Young so far, but it usually looks better if you have a couple more goals to go in the win column, so to speak. Just three even strength points in 13 games played this year, which is almost as many as Michael Backlund has on the penalty kill. He just has one more even strength point than Backlund does shorthanded, which is just an awful situation for him. Uh, Johnny Gaudreau not doing much better, of course, and Perhaps that's the reason why Monahan doesn't have any assists. It's all really weird. If you look at the Flames' point-scoring leaders, Michael Froelich and Troy Brower leading the team with these two apparent no-doubter young players just coming off new contracts, really struggling in Calgary. Monaghan is all the way down at 10th on the team with four points in 13 games, like I've said. And I imagine many fans could have a real hard time naming nine other Flames at all. Considering that Monahan's all the way down at 10th and they're both not doing anything. I'm talking about Monahan Goudreau as well as they had in previous years. And this is where maybe the Flames should have learned to appreciate Yuri Hoodler, or maybe not Yuri Hoodler specifically, but the sort of role playing right winger who could help balance and guide that line to success because Monahan is just looking lost for the most part has had very few shining moments this season same goes for goudreau who looks like he's trying to put the whole team on his back at times because there's nobody else to help him i was reading up on Flamesnation.ca about the whole situation and kent wilson over there had an idea to split them up he said put goudreau on line one with sam bennett and troy brower and then move monahan to line three with michael ferland oh. and chris Versteeg and at this point i'm saying why not like you've got to try something. They're not clicking together. I don't know that that right wing piece should be so important. Like we've talked about this on the previous episode, Elon. while, you know, Yuri Hoodler was traded away, Michael Furlan came in and they did all right with him in a very small sample of games. But it looks like at the moment, there's not the right mix for them to play together on that top line. And one of them needs to be able to find their game for, I think the other one to be able to get themselves going full speed. Yeah,
0: Brian. So who did you say was making this prediction for the Flames?
1: This was Kent Wilson. And I can tell you right now, the second line, it was more of a, a checking line, I suppose. It was a backland center well, with Fraleek and Kachuk. All right. Well, I'm looking now at daily faceoff, which is a good site in terms of they like take the tweets or whatever
0: of what the lines are going to be. So I don't know if this is for sure, but right now I'm seeing actually that this is maybe going to come to fruition. I'm seeing Godro, Bennett, Brower, and then Kachuk, Backlund, league, and then Chiasan, Monaghan, and Ferland. So who knows what's going to happen on Calgary? Obviously they need to figure out a way to score some goals, but wait. So what was the final result there? Maybe don't get mad at me if you're going to say I wasn't listening to you, but were you saying that Monaghan's going to bounce back?
1: I don't know. He's not looking good. I actually tried to buy low on him in a deal uh, a couple weeks ago in the cupful and then you, i'm sort of glad that it didn't end up happening cuz at that point i hadn't watched him a whole lot but when i am watching him play i'm just not seeing any reason to start believing in him now he's too good to be kept down all year long but perhaps this is an off year like downgrade from you know 60 plus to maybe low 50s if he can't figure things out
0: bummer all these guys. I feel like we're having a grief session here in the chat room. Everyone's like crying and using all these sad emojis about how they have all these players we're talking about. Hey, if you have these players, your team could only get better. Hopefully they'll bounce back. Some of these guys, Brian has said, he thinks are going to bounce back. I'm curious to see what you'll think about this guy. Let's go to defense on Boston. You all know who I'm about to talk about. Tori Krug. I'll admit I got way too excited when he got his first assist a couple of games ago. I was like, yes, I, I, it, this, sh- it shouldn't be like this, right? That I get so excited about a Tori Krug assist. This should be commonplace, but yeah, he now has one assist in 11 games played. 35 shots on goal which is like the main thing i guess that in his power play time makes me say well he'll be fine he's taking all these shots he's still in the top power play but are the shots enough to expect him to break out soon like maybe is he not a good shooter is the boston power play crappy like are they going to even bump tory krug at some point like give me something to hang on to
1: because these 11 games with only one assist they are killing me brian so i'll give you a little bit of background again we looked at St. Louis' goal-scoring troubles as a team. Boston has goal-scoring troubles too, especially on the power play. They are ranked 29th in the league in power play percentage ahead of only Vancouver. They've converted only three of 38 chances, and this is not normal. They ranked seventh in the league last year in power play conversion rate. Guess who was second on the team in power play goals last year, though? It was Louis Erickson. He had 10 goals, only second to Bergeron's 12. He played net front, and he played it well. The next most prolific power play scores for the Bruins last year were Brad Marchand and Ryan Spooner. They each only had six, though. So clearly Boston is having a bit of trouble replacing Erickson's presence on that power play unit, and this is going to have a ripple effect on all the Bruins, especially Tori Krug, who relies on those power play points to be able to get him up above 40 or 45. Poor Tori Krug. Look at last year. He had four goals last year on 200. And 44 shots. That's oh a 1.6% shooting percentage, which for anybody who might not know like what's expectable, I'd say an average defenseman, you're probably hoping for somewhere between 4 and 5%. That is less than half of that. That's almost a third of that. And if you look for some historical match for what he was able to accomplish in a very negative way last year, you have to go all the way back almost 20 years ago to 1997, 1998, There's an NHL player in that season who took 200 shots and scored as few goals as Krug did last year. And that player was a 36-year-old Chris Chelios (laughs) who had one less goal than Krug on 39 fewer shots. So he still took so many fewer shots, but he only scored one less goal. Like, Krug is just totally snake-bitten. At least that's what I'd like to think. Because after last year, it was all, that, that. no way that's going to happen again. And now here we go again. Zero goals on 35 shots on goal. Krug has always been a more prolific shooter than he has been a scorer, but he should have at least one goal by now and maybe two, but he doesn't. And I wonder exactly how the whole team system might be affecting him. I'm really counting on him getting like the 10 or 11 goals if he puts up another 250 shots. Nobody's scoring when he's on the ice though, which is helping him also fail in the assist column the Bruins are scoring on just one out of every 30 even strength shots when Krug's on the ice so not only is the power play not working but the even strength scoring is not coming while Krug is playing so I still believe that Krug is going to have to be able to pick it up because this can't last forever but I also admit that this is getting ridiculous
0: Well, okay. I don't even mind if he only has four goals again this year, but give me at least the 40 assists that he had last year and the 18 assists on the power play. I'll take it. But yeah, zero goals and one assist in 11 games. Just ridiculous. I would have taken. it. Like I couldn't have predicted. This is the craziest one to me of all of the cold streaks so far. Okay. Let's just move on. Okay. Here, Brian, I've got three guys that I'm super low on. I'm just going to tell you all three of them and you can tell me what you think. Leon Dreisaitl, he had a goal yesterday. And that's his only goal in the last eight games. And actually I see he had an assist today. So maybe I have to reassess Leon Dreisidel, though. He's not playing, you know, on such a great line. Like today he was playing with Milan Lucic and Tyler Pitt. Like very interesting, actually. Lucic off the line with McDavid and Everly. It's been Patrick Maroon on that top line. Maybe I'll get into that. But yeah, Dreisidel has been very disappointing. Obviously he's not playing with Taylor Hall. It is showing. Louis Erickson, the affirmant. You mentioned Louis Erickson. He did so well last year on the power play for Boston. This year, only four assists. So far, no goals in 12 games played. He's now pointless in six. And then Andrew Ladd. We've talked about him every week, but let me just bring him up again. One assist in 12 games off the top line. I think all three of these guys, I think I drop Ladd first off of these guys, but I think all of them are people that it's almost time. Like, do you like any of them better than Paul Stasny?
1: Maybe Andrew Ladd. And if Andrew Ladd was a center, oh, well. I'm not sure I'd say the same thing. Andrew Ladd is another guy who's 0 for 0 goals on 25 shots. And his lone point not only came on an assist, but the assist was on an empty net goal, which is so embarrassing. That reminds me of Ryan Getzlav. last year. He had one goal for the longest time and it was an empty netter. Ladd has been on the ice for just three even strength goals all season long and one power play goal. Uh, Fewer shot attempts per 60 minutes than previous years, but still getting about as many pucks to the net. I wonder if that's something he can sustain. I really do think his luck should turn. It's just by how much Is it reasonable to expect it to turn? Because I don't think he's as good as his best years. I think those are behind him. I'm still hoping he can be like a 50 plus guy. And I'm wondering if we should almost be waiting for a coaching change at this point to see how that works. Because nothing's working in Long Island right now. Like we've thought, oh, Josh Bailey up on the top line. At one point, Matthew Barzal was going to get a look and we were getting interested in him. Anthony Beauvillier also not doing anything with all the looks he's getting. And you had Jack Capuano take a shot at his GM this week by quoting the number of points that were removed from his lineup in the offseason due to attrition or trades, or I can't remember how they lost them all. And GM Garcino seemed to be aligned on the whole Yarrow-Halak issue. It's a very hard read in Long Island right now, but this blender can't go on forever. I think once it stops, I think Ladd is going to be able to do something. Leon Dreisaitl, definite snoozer, and even with two points in two games, still a snoozer. I would win, Elon, all the bets that we ever made that revolved around Leon Dreisaitl. The fact of the matter is, even before today, being with Lucic and Pitlick, he wasn't with good line mates already. He was with Poole Yarvi and Maroon. And Dreisaitl is not good enough yet to make a line happen all by himself, even if there's a very talented 18-year-old on it. He was also recently replaced on the top power play unit by Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who is doing all right in that role. And then I'll move on to Louis Erickson, who I think I'm going to call him a snoozer. It's going to happen. It's not his fault. Zero goals on 14 shots at even strength. He's only been on the ice for two goals scored at even strength. And I'm wondering if he was given enough of a shot with the Cedis. I'm looking at his Roto World page and the clip, like the little news item says, Louis Erickson is not working out with the Cedis twins. And I was trying to figure out what that meant like were they going to the gym together at the start of the season mm-hmm. but then it went on to say he has yet to work out with any line of vancouver which is true nothing's clicking and you know if the canucks couldn't make it work with riding verbata who's doing just fine to start the year in arizona thank you very much why would they figure out how to get the most out of erickson all of a sudden he appears snake bitten. so did verbata all of last season but the points never came and of course, Ericsson's going to look snake bitten when he's playing at even strength with Brandon Sutter and Marcus Granland, and also seeing second power play unit time. I think Louis Ericsson is good. I think the Canucks are not.
0: Hmm, well, what's wrong with working out on your own like that's okay maybe lou erickson doesn't like to have other workout partners i heard that jeff probst uh uh, for survivor apparently when he goes out on location he's required to have his own gym made for him that he likes to work out by himself that's something i heard anyway okay i got some things to say but i agree with pretty much everything you said avi in the chat room also kind of backing you saying don't drop lad he's not playing that poorly just snake bitten 50 points with his peripherals and as a left wing is decent you know what, Avi? I would make a bet with you if you're up for it. I think Ladd is going to have under 50 points this year. But I I'll, guess we'll I'll see. I'll even
1: take you up on that, Elon. Can we go 50-point pace from no. today?
0: No, I'm saying 50 points overall he's not going to oh, hit. okay. <laughs> Sorry. I agreed to uh, give you the pace for the uh, for the goalie bets. That's enough. Maybe he can hit a 50-point pace. I, I actually don't think he will, but obviously. Uh, anyway, okay, let's move on. You mentioned how the New York Islanders have been shuffling around their lines. Did you know, Brian, that Cal Clutterbuck was the one on line one with Tavares and Josh Bailey yesterday versus Edmonton. And he had an assist. So how about that? And four shots on goal and three hits. The thing about Cal Clutterbuck is you might have him in your league already if your league counts hits. He actually has 42 hits in 12 games played this season. So if your league counts hits, I think that Cal Clutterbuck might be a really good short-term ad while he's on line one. Like, don't expect it to last. But like for next week, I think if your league counts hits, I would grab him. And then we talked about Edmonton and how Settle's not playing with McDavid. I guess he wasn't before. Pat Maroon is. He actually had two assists, two shots on goal, three hits yesterday. He's also a guy that's good for hits. So two guys, Maroon and Clutterbuck. If your league counts hits, they're both currently on their team's line one, playing with amazing players. So guys to watch, I don't know. We have to give some sunshine when we're talking about all these disappointing players.
1: Yeah, and I'll throw in a little more. I mentioned Radim Verbata. I know we're talking about hot streaks later in the show, but I'm not sure he totally qualifies. He does have seven points in 11 games so far this year. It took him 17 games to get his seventh point in Vancouver last year. And even then, like, I don't even know if that's the pace he maintained all season. I didn't do the math. So things are looking good for Radim Verbata, who is not a bad hockey player. It's just that the Canucks were a bad team.
0: Yeah, and not that the Arizona is such an amazing team, and now Martin Hansel's injured, so that's another less player for Verbata to play with, though obviously we expected that Martin Hansel was going to get injured at some point. But yeah, Verbata's been a nice surprise so far. I think we called it Brian. We said when we were looking at the rankings, we said he's a guy that maybe you could draft really, really late, and he could give you some good results. Brian, here we go. I've been excited to get to this all night. I want to talk about our new sponsor for Keeping Carlson, Draft. We have a sponsor. We didn't even tell the patrons about this. We wanted to surprise you. We know you love playing fantasy hockey. That's why you listen to this podcast. So we know you'll love playing fantasy on Draft. Draft is a simple daily fantasy app where you can do snake drafts just like the ones you do at the beginning of your season long league. You can do drafts whenever you want. They last for just one day and they take only a few minutes to complete. On draft, you can play for free, or better, you can play for money, and get this, your chances of winning on draft are over 200% better than your chances of winning money on DraftKings or FanDuel. Brian, we did a draft today against each other for tonight's games. I'm going to tell the people the results right now. You took Patrick Kane first. I went with Panarin and Tarasenko. I wanted Panarin, you know, to get insurance so that if Kane gets points, I'll get some points. Tarasenko playing against Varlamov, I knew that would be good. You went McDavid and Sagan. I went Ben Lunkvist. You took Alan Keith, and then I went Shattenkirk. You fill up a five-person team, or I guess a six-person team. I'm killing you right now.
1: Well, actually, you're not killing me. I am in the lead as we speak, except if Henrik Lundqvist gets the win against Winnipeg, my chances are pretty much finished. Kevin Shattenkirk carried your team tonight so far. 11 points. The scoring system is actually very basic, too. It's a really fun way. Like, you can snake draft in the middle of the season for a daily or weekly competition. I've actually been playing around with it all week and have really enjoyed it. I just, just the free version for me so far, but uh, we encourage you to join us when you download draft. If you enter the promo code Carlson, K-A-R-L-S-S-O-N. If you download it, just search draft in the app store and it's going to come up first or go to playdraft.com. Remember to enter the promo code Carlson that I just spelled out in a half built sentence when you download it. So you get a hundred percent of a deposit bonus. So go ahead and download draft on your phone now, and uh, we'll see you in there. The reason why,
0: Brian, I drafted Tarasenko and Shattenkirk, and hopefully they'll lead me to a victory, but it's because I was so sure that Semyon Varlamov would blow it today. And I want to get back to our content, back to struggling players. Let's do a couple of goalies. I want to talk about Varlamov. Seven games played so far. This is before today. 891 save percentage, only two wins. And, you know, that's bad enough. But meanwhile, Calvin Picard... He's played three games so far and has three wins and a 944 save percentage. They've won every game that they've started Picard. Somehow they still play Varlamov. I think that should change. I think that might just change. He had an amazing shutout against Minnesota yesterday, one nothing. Varley played again today against St. Louis. He got killed. When does Picard get
1: a chance? Probably soon. I think it's coming. Varlamov has just been really crummy and this isn't a new thing either first off I mentioned before like he has a really low high danger save percentage so far this year and I expect him to recover he also has a weak goals saved above average which is comparative so another goalie in his place might have stopped four more goals than he has so far this season and one thing that is the carryover from last year just three out of seven of his starts actually now three out of his eight starts have been quality starts and that's nothing new like we warned you last season how Varlamov is not surefire elite. He's not going to be a consistently great goalie. In fact, if you look at his quality starts percentage last year, he was below Niemi. He was below Cam Ward. He's below Andre Pavlik. So even though he put up better overall numbers than all those guys, he still was more likely to have a crummy start, a crummy outing that would blow up your stats for the week. And that's the side of Varlamov that we're seeing more of so far this year, I think Picard should get more of a look now that he is playing very well and Varlamov can't seem to recover and find his footing. I think Varlamov can be a better goalie. It's just a matter of how much slack he has left, especially with Picard playing so well.
0: That's another bet I would make. Picard higher save percentage than Varlamov. But I don't know if he'll get the games played to make him worth an ad, but I think he should. And you know what? Speaking of St. Louis, we're talking about how St. Louis beat Colorado today. I wanted to also talk about Jake Allen, who hasn't been much better. He had a good game today. It was against a struggling Colorado avalanche. Aside from that, going into today's game, only an 8.98 save percentage in his nine games played, four wins. Meanwhile, again, another capable backup. And Brian, you called this in the preseason. I remember you said, watch out for Carter Hutton. He has a 9.26 save percentage in four games he got the win yesterday against Columbus 2 to 1 that's a Columbus team that was able to put 10 goals on Montoya but somehow could only score 1 against Carter Hutton and the St. Louis Blues do you think I guess kind of same question as Varlamov Picard is there a chance that Hutton could steal starts from Jake Allen
1: I think there's less of a chance in St. Louis I don't know that Hutton is a better goalie than Jake Allen and especially I don't know that he's a more consistent goalie than Jake Allen not to say Jake Allen is any measure consistency just four of his nine starts although with tonight's start he's now to a 50% quality start percentage and last year he was almost at 60% on the season over his 47 starts and he put up a 920 save percentage which was very good but his Mercad his goals saved above average his adjusted goals saved above average did not make him look like any fantastic goalie so yeah I'm still a little curious about where he ends up. He doesn't have great numbers so far. And interestingly enough, he's a little down in high danger save percentage, but he's pretty much even everywhere else. And he's actually up in shorthanded save percentage. So there's no real spot where he's really suffering a lot compared to last year, which is a funny little item to figure out why his numbers are lower this year than they were last year.
0: Yeah. So I guess obviously it's still early in the season. A lot of people probably are more disappointed in Allen than Varlamov because hopefully you didn't draft Varlamov too high if you did. Like, why? Allen, obviously, we really expected to be valuable now that Elliott was out of town. So far, letting his owners down. Good game today. Hopefully he could get something going. Yeah, I agree with you. I'd rather have Picard than Hutton if we're ranking the backups. But yeah, two disappointing goalies. Maybe we're giving them, you know, the anti-jinx right now and they'll start being good now that we've name-checked them on the show. Okay, Brian, this has been too depressing. Let's get to players on hot streaks. We've tried our best to help you guys feel a little better. Or for some of them, some of them, I guess it's kind of like, your sol with some of these guys on cold streaks but let's turn it around let's talk about some guys who have been great maybe not for your team because a lot of these guys are available in free agency or were up until recently let's go let's stick in columbus i guess we talked about already a couple of guys we've been loving hash time team werensky all season but after that 10 nothing blowout against poor montoya and the habs we have two more blue jackets putting up a point per game pace we've got alex wenberg who now has in 10 games one goal 11 assists for 12 points 14 shots on goal, eight special teams points. Of course, four of those assists were against Montreal, but still that leaves one goal and seven assists in nine games played. Not in that great game, not too shabby at all. So I'd love to ask you if his production is sustainable or fleeting. Brian, he's been playing with sad and Felino and line one and also on the top power play. And speaking of Nick Felino, he's also now got 12 points in 10 games. Again, we could even take out that game against Montreal and that still leaves him with nine points in nine games last season, only 37 points. Two seasons ago, 73 points. Now we're above a point per game. Are we seeing the 2014-15 Felino resurface? Or, you know, is this just a mirage? And really last year was more the real Nick Felino? So Wenberg and Felino, give us your take on these awesome Columbus producers so far.
1: Okay, so I alluded earlier that Babrowski is really benefiting off of Columbus's success, but it might not be sustainable. Here's why. They have an insane power play right now. 11 goals on 28 opportunities for a 39% success rate, far and away the best in the league. If you're not familiar, usually it takes like a 20 or 22% to lead the league over the full season. So 39% is just insane. They built on a crazy 27% shooting success rate while they've had the man advantage. So that's an area for concern that they're scoring way more power play goals and they'll be able to sustain, which is great for now. But what does it mean for later? Let's start with Alex Wenberg, who, remember, he came up with Marco Dano, Elon, and we were really interested in both of them when we talked about which guy is the more interesting pickup for the end of that season. Mm-hmm. And then, like, we kind of forgot about him, knew he was there, but turned our attention to Dano as the guy who was going to break out first. But look at that. It's Alex Wenberg. And I've been into him this last couple of weeks because his even strength personal and on-eye shooting percentages, they look so sustainable. And he had a point per game pace through that whole, you know, first few weeks of the season. And I'm checking his percentages and I'm like, oh, this is all looking pretty good. And then I took a look at what he had actually accomplished at even strength, just two even strength points so far. And they've both been secondary assists, which could either mean he's given some okay setups that turn into a goal or just dumb luck. So all his sustainable percentages at even strength makes sense for two points in 12 games it's not as exciting as you might think he's because of all the points he's scoring on the power play if you look at the power play it's been his bread and butter eight points there but of those only two of those have been primary assists so he has no power play goals and six secondary power play assists and if you're saying all this doesn't add up where's his goal Brian, his only goal this year was at four on four. So Wenberg has been really one of the benefactors of this insane Columbus power play. I don't know how much of it is going to translate into long-term success if he's not putting it together at even strength. Nick Felino, on the other hand, when we're talking about primary points and secondary points, Nick Felino is definitely earning his keep better than Wenberg is. Felino has six points at even strength. Five of them are primaries. And that's mirrored on the power play. Six power play points, five of those are primaries. It does not make up for inflated individual and on ice shooting percentages, though. He has four goals on 14 shots on goal, so that's not going to last. He's actually taking fewer shots on goal per 60 minutes than he was in either of the last two years. And you asked if 70-point Nick Felino is coming back. 70-point Nick Felino was the same as 50-point Nick Felino, except with crazy unsustainable shooting percentages and on-ice shooting percentages that, against all odds, sustained themselves for an entire season. So I'm not betting on that happening again. I don't think 70-point Nick Felino is back. In fact, I think it might be a good time to sell high on Blue Jackets players, which I know might be hard because you might've picked up Wenberg and you might've picked up Foligno late in a draft or as free agents and thought, what great value I've gotten. I'm a genius, but I don't see this lasting. Their power play is going to come back down to earth.
0: Well, Brian, I tried to allow you to sell high on Felino, or maybe not sell high because I offered you Steve Mason for Nick Felino in the one league we're against and you quickly turned me down. I thought you loved Steve Mason so much.
1: I do love Steve Mason so much. I just have no use for him as a goalie. I have three goalies already. I don't need a fourth.
0: Uh, that's fair. Okay. Well, good news if you drafted these Columbus guys and obviously if you could turn them around like Brian, do you try to turn these guys around for one of the cold street guys we talked about like an Alex Barkov or who do we have like Jaden Schwartz or Palat or Johnson?
1: That would be crazy. If you could trade Wenberg or Felino for any of those guys, I would say even including Sean Monahan, I think it would be worth your while. Maybe I'm putting myself a little bit out there, but everything I'm seeing suggests that Columbus is doing way better than they should be doing.
0: Okay, well, there you go. You heard it here first. Probably they're not gonna be able to keep up over a point per game pace. There's gonna be a drought at some point. It's been really fun while well, it's lasting. And hopefully, though, you agree that Hashtag Timo Rensky. He's going to keep it going, right?
1: Yes, but also <laughs> expect a dip for him in power play points as well, which I'm actually really hopeful for because I have him in no leagues. And there were two specifically where I went to pick him up just like an hour too late than I should have. And the league leaders ended up being the teams to grab him. So I can't wait for this Columbus slowdown. Maybe, maybe that's tinging my opinion.
0: No, Brian, you know how much it breaks my heart when you do this. <laughs> you know that we're in a league together and we have Zach Worensky in that league, which you always forget about our joint team. It's basically my team that you just paid half the entry fee for. And once in a while I ask you for advice of what we should do. Yeah, pretty much. we our team's doing good, okay? And Zach is a big part of it. Whatever, I'll just do it myself. Let's go on. So moving from Columbus, here's a team that's definitely known for scoring more goals onto chicago so okay artemi panarin and patrick kane are amazing kane has 15 points in 12 games and actually another goal today versus dallas already panarin has 13 points in 12 games but surprisingly artemanisimov is right there with them with 15 points himself seven goals and eight assists we wrote off his hot streak earlier in the season since last year he had these great line mates and only managed 42 points maybe were we too hasty like, does he have more upside than those 42 points from last season? Because he just keeps on rolling. And actually, he hasn't even been on a line with Kane and Panarin. It's been Anisimov with Hosa and Panarin. And then Kane's been with Panic and Taves. So Chicago's been shaking things up. And I guess they've been scoring a lot of goals lately. But yeah, what do you think about Artem Anisimov? If he's still available, do you go and grab him? Maybe above those Columbus guys?
1: So you just asked me if we were too hasty to write off Artem Anisimov Career-high 44-point player over seven NHL seasons.
0: Yeah, well, but I'm just talking about now this year, he has 15 points in 12 games. Obviously, you can say
1: no. I have to ask the question. I think if anything, we'd be too hasty to be excited and think that anything great is going to happen. A 10-game point streak, fantastic. Congratulations to him. He's scoring on one out of every three shots he takes, and he's not even taking a lot of shots. You already said how last year he picked up half a point per game while playing with an Art Ross winner and another incredible player in Panarin. There's no new leaf that's turned over here. Sell high. Look, Brian, like I said, I'm just doing my job. You're here to give the
0: sane advice. I ask the crazy questions. Speaking, though, of Chicago Blackhawks doing amazingly well, I wanted to also bring up Marion Hossa. He's got five goals and four assists in 11 games played. Is 65-point Hossa back? Or is this a mirage and is it time to sell high on him just like the Columbus guys?
1: It's a mirage, not a huge mirage. I know a lot of people have written him off entirely and thought 40 or 45 points. I still think he's good for 50 to 55. Eight of his nine points so far have come on the power play, which is nice. He's involved, he's getting that time. But of course I want to see more success at even strength, which he hasn't found just one point at even strength this year. Five of his goals have come on 29 shots. That's a pretty high shooting percentage. at even strength on ice shooting percentage is about where it should be which isn't great news for him if he's only managed a single point with a reasonable manageable on ice shooting percentage so far so yeah try and sell high if you can convince somebody that 60 65 point host is back great otherwise I guess just hold on to him if you were clever enough to pick him up late in your draft as an old guy who's not very exciting but could still crack 50 points
0: Yeah, well, playing with Panarin, not that bad. I mean, yeah, I like him, but I agree with you. Like 65 plus would be a bit insane. Okay, Brian, I want to now go to the Rangers. So many questions about these players. So here it is for all the people who've been asking us on Twitter and on the Facebook group. I'm going to ask Brian for you right now. The top two scorers on the New York Rangers are JT Miller with four goals and eight assists for 12 points in 12 games played and Kevin Hayes with five goals and six assists for 11 points in 12 games played, and actually another goal for Hayes and another goal for Miller today against Winnipeg. So both of them keep on rolling. Then we have three guys tied at 10 points Grabner, Stepan and Vessi so also a couple of names maybe not Stepan but a couple of other names that we wouldn't have expected there you know you would have thought it would have been like Zuccarello and Nash and Kreider The Kreider's been injured to be fair Zabanajad. but okay these guys JT Miller and Kevin Hayes they're on the third line along with Michael Grabner and they're not even getting power play time so I just need to ask like but they're doing so well and it keeps coming and also I remember last year JT Miller had that really good run is any of this production sustainable has there ever been Brian I'm actually curious has there ever been a third line player with no power play time that's been a valuable fantasy asset because like people keep asking should I add these guys and I my default is just like you can't take a guy on the third line you know maybe you don't want to call it the third line I guess they're getting more minutes maybe than the first or second I'm just looking at the names you know it seems like the third line but like generally I don't like to advise picking up a guy on the third line who's not getting any power play time but Miller and Hayes putting together amazing seasons so far What do you think about these guys? Are either of them worth picking up? I think a lot of people already have. People are very excited in the chat room that we're bringing these guys up. We talked about all of those snoozers and guys on cold streaks above. Is it time to drop one of them for JT Miller or Kevin Hayes?
1: Hmm, this is a tough one for me to be a wet blanket for, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. The Rangers, let's give them credit for what they've done. They have 50 goals over their first 12 games. They lead the NHL in goals four, and they are destroying the NHL. In goals for per game play, they are averaging just over four goals per game or four and a fifth goals per game. And the nearest team is the Blackhawks at three and a half goals per game. So they're scoring almost three quarters of a goal more per game than the Blackhawks, their nearest competition. And like that is also still higher than most of the rest of the league. They're doing very well. The thing with the Rangers is that while scoring all these goals, like going into tonight's game, they had five or more goals in five of their last six games. That's crazy. But the crazier thing is that at even strength, they're averaging fewer shots on goal per game than 25 other teams over that same span. So that's the real concern right now for the Rangers is that they're scoring a lot, but it doesn't appear as though they're shooting a whole lot so eventually you're going to have to expect fewer of their shots to go in or they need to figure a way out to really up their shot count if you look at what they're doing like relative to that I mean it makes sense that they lead the league in team shooting percentage and that's not a positive unless of course they found some magical goal scoring key that every player on the team including Miller, Hayes, and Grabner have learned and mastered within the first 12 games of the year and because of this I think it's best to stick with the shooters on the team because when the percentages dry up the guys who are not taking shots are the ones who are going to be hit the hardest and that puts Grabner and Miller in a better spot than Hayes if you look at their shots on goal per 60 minutes rates although I'm really not expecting huge things from either of these three over the full season Grabner has done this for years now ever since being a rookie is super exciting and even in the last two years he has a big run everyone thinks he's back and then he either gets injured or just tails off and plays like he's injured. JT Miller interests me, but not enough for me to want to make a play yet because I think he is just still benefiting from huge percentages that aren't sustainable. I kind of see him as like a Troy Brower type from previous years, a third liner who doesn't see a lot of power play time, but still can put up a half point per game pace if you need somebody in a depth role.
0: Yeah, so if these guys are available to you in free agency You know, I guess JT Miller, you're saying, is the one you'd like the most, so you don't expect it to continue. Keep in mind, next week, the Rangers play on Tuesday against Vancouver and then not again until Saturday. They do play two times on the weekend against Calgary and Edmonton. Two opportunities, I guess, to score some goals. Maybe more so against Calgary, of course. So maybe you might want to grab them for the weekend if you can.
1: Yeah, I think that's a decent idea. It's just, you know, again, Miller's the best guy for me. Four goals on 28 shots. It's a 14% shooting percentage, which is like, eh, within reason. On the high end, still, but still within reason. And when you sort by points, you know, you get those guys that you were saying Elon Miller, Hayes, Grabner, VC. But when you sort by shots, you get the guys you'd expect. You get Rick Nash, Zabanejad, Kreider, Zuccarello, Stepan. And those are the guys who are going to be the ones carrying the Rangers through the season. This is just a little blip for the rest of the team.
0: Right. And by the way, I will say a lot of people also asked about dropping Patrick Stepan. He had obviously that big slump at the beginning of the year, like he always seems to do. But you know, now I'm happy that Brian, you were saying no to people to hold on to Stepan Because yeah, he had a goal and two assists yesterday. He's up to like a goal and four assists in his last three games. So he's on a run now. I think Stepan, we're starting to see he's like a streaky player, he's gonna go on cold streaks, then he's gonna go on hot streaks. No points so far tonight for whatever it's worth. But I assume you'd want Stepan more than these other guys on the Rangers that we've been talking about?
1: For sure. He's taken a lot of flack from police this year. And even so, he's doing better than you'd think based on the amount of people who've been asking us, should I drop him? He has 10 points in 12 games. Things that they are fairly well spread out. So I think the issue with Stepan might be that he's hit the score sheet this year as often as he's missed the score sheet. But overall, he's doing all right. I prefer him to JT Miller, who's the best of that group of three.
0: And thank you to Julian in the chat room. I think I said Patrick Stepan. I meant Derek Stepan. Patrick Stepan, uh, wasn't he like a former first
1: overall pick? Or uh, I Yeah, think so, right? Patrick, Patrick Stepan, first overall pick of the Thrashers, best known for scoring on himself. Okay,
0: well... You know, it's an hour into a live podcast here, so hopefully you guys will cut me some slack. Okay, another guy who's made a ton of noise recently in free agency and has been added in a lot of leagues is Marcus Johansson, the Washington Capitals' leading scorer with 11 points in 11 games played. He's tied with Alex Ovechkin, obviously in a great situation, like as always, playing in the top six, and more importantly, on that amazing top power play, which has finally started to heat up. No points in his last two games, though, so it looks like he's slowing down. His career high is 47 points. Is there any reason to expect him to beat that, or do you think that's kind of what we're going to see from Marcus Johansson again this year?
1: Well, first off, Elon, I need to go back to Patrick Stefan, who did not score on himself, but he did miss an empty net that ended up being a goal against in the dying seconds of a hockey game. (laughs) So so that's the YouTube clip that comes up when you look up his name, and that's, I think, what most people know about him.
0: Okay, so that we both equally made a mistake about Stepan, so that's fine, or Stefan slash Stepan.
1: Yeah, but he was really good for my franchise in like NHL 2002. <laughs> Marcus Johansson, uh, he also has inflated shooting percentages, but the difference with him is I really do love his situation. You were detailing it for as long as it lasts. He and Andre Burakovsky have been in this horse race for depth chart positioning over the last two or three years, and right now Johansson's ahead. I think he can keep up a 50-point pace as long as he is ahead of Burakovsky in that little intra-squad competition. So that's the way he gets to 50, but he's really going to need to hang on to the minutes he's getting. He's not a point-per-game player.
0: Okay, yeah, I agree. I think like his career high is 47 points. I think, yeah, grab him for a hot streak if you can, though maybe it's already slowing down. But I think 47 points seems about good for this year. Maybe he now has a bit of a head start, so maybe he can hit 50 just because he's already got 11 in 11 games. But I wouldn't expect like more than that, personally. But by the way, speaking of Washington, Ovechkin with six points in his last four games. Nicholas Backstrom, who we were a little bit worried about, but he's back with Ovi. He's got five in his last four games. John Carlson finally getting some points. He has four points in his last four. So hopefully all is right with those guys. Maybe, though, not with kuznetsov who only has two points in his last four games and six points in 11 games overall on the season you know i was saying going into the year i guess we were both saying you know he was slow at the end of last year you loved we've already talked about a bunch of times but yeah we're still haven't seen a bounce back from kuznetsov even though we've been seeing bounce backs from ov backstrom and carlson so maybe a bit concerning for him
1: yeah still watch him i still think he's a really good hockey player i don't think he's lost his touch like last year was Maybe a fatigue or an injury thing. or It's still a freak thing. I need to see another 20 games of ineffective Kuznetsov before starting to worry. Although I think a lot of people probably drafted him in the first two to three rounds of their leagues. And I'm not sure that feels like a great investment right about now. So I'm, I'm rooting for him to come back for all those people. I like his chances of coming back more than Sean Monahan's.
0: What about Alex Barkov? Who would you take between Kuznetsov and Barkov?
1: That's a closer one. I think I might lean to Barkov just because I know he's going to be on the top line, top power play, whereas Kuznetsov and Backstrom might flip spots a couple more times.
0: Yeah. Plus with Barkov, you know, Hubert going to be back at some point, like on one hand, like Marshall's been good. So you'd think that should be good enough, but at some point Huberdo will be back, you know, Jokinen and Bjelkstad, even though they don't play with Barkov I know we're already going back to like the top of the show, but I should mention that, like, you know, even though they don't play on the same line as him, maybe they take some of the other team's defense away in terms of like how they're matching players up against each other. So I do see some more upside for Barkov. Kuznetsov's been in a pretty good situation, not putting up points. Okay. We mentioned him at the end of last show, getting back on the top line i just wanted to mention quickly nikolai ehlers i hope you grabbed him when you had the chance he now has five points in his last four games eight points now in 12 games overall originally line a was bumped so he had a four game pointless streak but now it's wheeler off of line one and line a had a goal and assist versus detroit recently and wheeler had an assist in that game so anyways currently we've got ehlers line a shifley and then wheeler patan and connor i guess though i guess winnipeg's playing today so who knows these lines are also being shaken up a lot. Bottom line. If Nikolai Ehlers is on the top line playing with Mark Shifley, I think he's definitely worth owning and you can't leave him in free agency. You know, the one thing I want to ask you, because I know maybe we've talked about Winnipeg a lot, Mark Shifley, he's going to get at least 70 points this season, isn't he? Like he's already up to 12 points in 12 games. Like this guy is for real, I think. Like at this point, I'm pretty convinced he was amazing last year. I think he had a 70 point pace. Now, if he could play the full season on this top line, which I think he will. Way to go, Mark Shifley.
1: Way to go, Mark Shifley. I'm all aboard, The Mark Scheifele 70 point, you can tell the difficulty I had in saying that maybe Mm -hmm. 65 is something I'm more comfortable with, but he is a really good hockey player. And a lot of people think he's still like some super young kid. He's turning 24 in the middle of this season in March. So he's had enough years to figure out how things work and for his body to, you know, become big and as big as it's going to get to compete with the rest of the NHL. So I'm into Mark Scheifele, no question it. And Anybody who's on that top line in Winnipeg. So, you know, if you're wondering what to do with Nikolai Ehlers, if he's not on the top line, drop him. If you're wondering what to do with Patrick Liney, if he's not on the top line, eh, if it's not a keeper league, you might be able to let go of him. Wheeler is the one guy that I would definitely hang on to regardless of what line he's on, which is not the top line at the moment. So Wheeler owners can hope he either makes magic wherever he is in the lineup, or he gets back to the top line soon, or Brian Little returns, before the end of the month to make everything better for a top six.
0: Yeah. And hey, even today, Winnipeg is playing the Rangers. The game's not over yet. The Rangers are winning five to two. So maybe the lines will get shaken up. But it is just like I said before, Wheeler is still not on the top line. But hey, you know what? Mark Shifley's got a goal assisted by Ehlers. Then we've got Patrick Line with a goal. So it's looking good for all of these four guys basically on Winnipeg. Perot is injured right now, by the way, which is a bummer for him. But he wasn't doing anything anyways. But yeah, I like Ehlers. I like Shifley. I like line A, but actually I would put him third for this year, which maybe is controversial. Maybe a lot of people would think that you should have line A over Ealers, But obviously, like last week, I was saying line A because I didn't like Ehlers on line two. So obviously it's shifting around. Brian, good for you, because I remember on the Facebook group, you suggested when people were suggesting dropping Ealers, you were like, he'll probably get back on the top line at some point. You were so right, and it's working out. Next, let's go to Anaheim. I want to talk about Ricard Raquel. We also mentioned him last week saying that he was going to finally – come back and join the team after signing a contract and figuring out all of his visa issues and whatever. And what a return. He's played three games and he has three goals and three assists. Six points in three games. 13 shots on goal. Two power play points. Of course, Nick Ritchie has been out. So Raquel has been playing with Perry and Michael Scarbosa? In the last game, that's because Ryan Getzlaff was also out. And maybe because of Getzlaff being out, Ricard Raquel has also been on the top power play, along with Kessler and Perry. So anyways, both Richie and Getzlaff could be back as soon as today. There's going to be a game in a few minutes, starting with Anaheim. By the way, Anaheim also has a guy named Cramarosa on his team. So They've got a Scarbosa and a Cramarosa. So that's kind of fun. Anyway, Okay. Ricard Raquel, 43 points in 72 games last season. That's a 49-point pace. Seems like he should be able to beat that. Obviously, it depends on his deployment, but looking great so far.
1: Yeah, a fantastic start for Ricard Raquel. And we'll see where he slots in with Ryan Getzlaff back because he's never really been more than a half-point-per-game guy over a long stretch. He's very good when he's on that top line with Perry and Getzlaff, but there's actually a massive difference in his numbers between just playing with Perry and someone else and playing with Perry and Getzlaff. Like that is the ideal situation, unless he's added some new element to his game now where he can play with Perry and whoever else because he started so well in that situation. The problem is for him, it's almost like with Paul Stasny in St. Louis, although different because Raquel is no Paul Stasny, but the better Raquel plays, the more likely I figure it is that the Ducks think that they can spread their offense out a little bit more over a couple lines, although that second line is pretty well set. One thing to wonder about maybe is with Randy Carlisle behind the bench. He did stack his top line for years in Toronto. Essentially, it's the only way he could keep his job. But that's only if you consider Tyler Bozak over Nazem Kadri as a legitimate way to stack a line. I'm not so sure. If I'm a Raquel owner, I'm really enjoying the start. I'm not like wiping the dust off my hands motion, thinking that I've made a great decision and nothing more needs to change, though. I feel like I'm watching really closely to see if he gets to play with Perry and Getzlaff and if he can keep up this crazy pace, which he can't. But a 50-point pace would be a really nice surprise from Raquel. Maybe surprise is too strong a word. A really nice campaign. Yeah, I think that 50 points
0: is right now where the money line is. Like If you were going to do an over-under, I think you'd be putting it at 50 and half the people would be saying over and half would be saying under. I think that's a reasonable expectation. And by the way, Brian, you're being hard on Tyler Bozak. He has nine points in 12 games this season so far. So he's putting together a nice year in his last game, actually against Vancouver. He had two goals and an assist and an assist the game before. So a nice little run for Bozak for people looking for, you know, I guess some value in free agency. Obviously, I don't expect this to last. I'm being somewhat tongue in cheek. Brian, okay, next, I want to go to New Jersey. I also want to revisit something from last week there. We talked about Damon Severson and how he was doing so well. And you know what? Now we check back in, he's leading New Jersey in points with nine points in 10 games. It's actually before today's game. Hall has had eight going into today, two goals and three assists in his last three games. So hopefully people didn't listen to you last week when you said to grab OV2 over Severson because they missed out potentially on five points. So I guess, Brian, I guess my question is at this point, have you changed your mind about OV2 versus Severson as who's the defenseman on New Jersey you'd want the most? OV2 only two points in 10 games so far this season.
1: I hang my head in shame. I'm so sorry to all those people who missed out on Severson's points. To be honest, I was one of them. Remember, I said I kept OV2 and Michael Matheson, who's also done nothing recently, over Damon Severson. And so this is something I've been revisiting all week. Should I have seen something else? Did I get something wrong? But I still, I'm going to be stubborn. I stand by what I said last hmm. week. I like OV2's offensive generation numbers more. And that means there's more shot attempts happening for the Devils while he's on the ice than Severson. And if you look at Damon Severson's own shots on goal counts. He has 15 of them in 10 games. So that's like a one and a half shot on goal per game pace. So I was curious how many defensemen shooting at such a low pace have recorded 40-point seasons before. And only eight of them have recorded 40-point seasons, averaging one and a half shots per game over an NHL season. Nicholas Cronwall is a guy who's done it twice. Andre Markov... Nick Letty and TJ Brody all did it last year, although we spoke specifically about TJ Brody's crazy on a shooting percentage last year that definitely helped him get there. So, I mean, could Severson join this group? Letty, I guess, could be a reasonable comparable as somebody who is the de facto guy on the power play, on a power play that isn't all that great, but isn't terrible. And he also is not like a key cog on it, like he's not taking a ton of shots on it. So, maybe Severson could. I'm just saying I still don't know that it's likely, and I still prefer OV2 for another week. If he can't make anything happen from those increased offensive opportunities that I'm insisting he's getting, Hmm. then sure, at that point, like, no contest for Severson. There's no point in holding OV2 much longer for the amount of production he's giving. But I still think that if we watched 150 games at these shot rates from both of them, Ovitu would end up with more points. So, Brian, I guess I'll throw something at you
0: just to see if this changes your mind. Today, it's one game. New Jersey beat Carolina 4-1. to Kincaid, by the way, a good game for him, spelling Schneider. But uh, Ovitu played only 15 minutes and 50 seconds, no power play time, while Severson had, uh, looks like, the second most time on the team, Or no, I guess the third most time behind Lovejoy and Andy Green, but obviously you don't depend on them for offense. He had 21 minutes, including the most power play time for a defenseman with two minutes and four seconds. So I don't know. I'm seeing Severson is potentially getting a better deployment at this point. I don't know, Brian. I'm I'm taking Severson at this point over OV2.
1: Yeah, you know what? Like, I feel like my head is also, like, OV2, the upside is not so huge that it's silly to let go of him now. It's almost like Zaitsev at the start of the season. Well, you know, he could be really good and he's doing okay in his underlying numbers, but at the moment he's not doing much for me. He's not a hot commodity. You can probably let him go and grab somebody else.
0: And you keep uh, crapping on these Toronto players. <laughs> you, you said
1: Bozak before. Zaitsev's not doing so badly. He's got six points in twelve games. Hey, Bozak was really good with that top line. Just not possession wise. They were a disaster at keeping control of the shot attempts battle. And Zaitsev, yeah, still good, still good. I didn't. I don't mean to. to I've been <laughs> pumping up Toronto players' tires all summer. I've been more excited about the Leafs than I ever have been in my life.
0: Okay. Yeah. So we how's that? that? We just have to even it out. I don't know. It just sounds like you hate the Leafs from just how you randomly bring them up when you want to bring up an example of someone bad.
1: I was just trying to think, not of somebody bad, but of somebody with upside on defense, an unknown entity who you might not be wanting to wait around for that long. Maybe Provorov is another example, a a non-Leafs example. How about that? I think no. I think it's another bad example because Provorov has six points. Okay, six points in
0: 13 games. So I guess a little bit worse, but still not bad, like a 40-point pace. Anyway, OV2 is the
1: worst of all of them. That's the he bottom is. line. He is. There's no denying that OV2 is the worst and you can let him go because nobody else is going to want him in all likelihood. Yeah, unless they listen
0: to this show and they're big Brian fans. But No, but I just said, let him go. Okay, let him go. Grab Severson now, if you can, for the short term. See if he could keep this streak going. If not, maybe you could get Zaitsev or, or Provorov. I don't know. I, uh, Severson's looking great, but obviously, like you say, maybe he's not going to be able to keep up this kind of pace. That would make sense. Unlikely, maybe. Do you guys get the reference? Okay, tweet at us at Keeping Carlson if you get that reference.
1: No, just tell me what it is. I don't get it.
0: It's Survivor. That was Taylor. He was like saying, maybe Adam will turn on us. Unlikely, but may- okay. okay.
1: Okay. Moving keep on.
0: Moving on. Okay, one more guy on a hot streak. I feel like we should each week talk about one like peripherals guy who's putting up points. Last week it was Brandon Manning, who by the way, since that last episode, no points. Oh, 11 shots on goal in three games. So that's good. Brandon Manning sort of slowed down with the points. Dennis Seidenberg this week on the Islanders. New patron, Alex, pointed him out in the Facebook group yesterday. Eight points in 12 games played so far on the year. Two goals, four assists in the last four games. He's been playing over 20 minutes also in his last three games, which is more than he was getting before. And he had five blocks yesterday and six hits the game before. 16 hits and 31 blocks overall on the season. So you're getting some nice peripherals from Seidenberg and some offense right now. His career high is 32 points. So that's a long time ago. Could he get back? there or is he more like the 20 or less points guy that he's been in for the last few seasons
1: well first off shout out to alex and all our other new patrons this week including andrew k Well, Alex P, Brad S, and Kyle K, thanks a lot for joining us in the Facebook group for more info on how to support the show, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. That was unplanned. Dennis (laughs) Seidenberg, you know, he never really was a big peripherals guy before this year, and he's never been a threat for any more than 30 points, and that's even a generous number, considering over the last two seasons, he has 26 points in 143 games. Not seeing any more shots against him, which is what I thought was going on at first, having moved from Boston to Long Island and Long Island being a bit of a mess. Uh, but it's not the case. Not seeing any more shots against him. He's not seeing any more penalty kill time. So I don't even know that blocks are going to continue anywhere above maybe about two or so a game. It is nice that these little bursts are coming, but they are uncharacteristic unless he's been asked to change the way he plays. So short-term, if you want to try and ride those blocks and something really has changed with his deployment and what his coach is asking him to do, okay, sure. But long-term, I'm still not sold that he has great fantasy relevance even for his peripherals. Okay, well
0: you know someone to watch probably it'll be like a manning and he won't have any points this week but i'll do this every week brian i'm gonna bring up a peripherals guy who's putting up points that you wouldn't have expected let's move on i guess we're nearing the end of the show i'm just gonna go to the next fantasy hockey headline of the week which is some outjuries usually we start with injuries and outjuries but i just really wanted to talk about the cold streaks and hot streaks this week brian i'm gonna throw a whole bunch of outjuries at you and then you could just comment on the ones that you think are interesting okay okay all right so we already talked about ricard raquel What an amazing return. Nicholas Cronwall is back for Detroit. He's played two games now. No points. Uh, He played today, actually. It was two shots on goal in his first game. Let me check and see how he did today with his second game back. It was no goals, no assists. Another two shots, 20 minutes of ice time. Okay, so, you know, I think that's kind of what we could expect from Nicholas Cronwall at this point. He had 49 points three seasons ago, but it doesn't seem like he's there anymore. Obviously, we want to watch his deployment and also how that affects Mike green.
1: Yeah. And the thing to notice about Cronwell's return is not exactly what Cronwell is doing, but that Mike green is still seeing a really great percentage of his team's power play time. Still saw 24 and a half minutes on the whole over two minutes on the power play. So that's great news for Mike green owners, by the way, Mike green 12 shots in his last four games, which is really nice. Cause in his like six games before that he had just three.
0: Yeah, so I guess we were saying that you might want to watch Mike Green for when Cronwall returns. He might take a hit. Seems like it'll be okay. It was both of them on the top power play recently with Nyquist, Tatar, and Zetterberg. So if they could both get power play time, I guess they'll get some points, but I'm not too excited about Cronwall at this point. Maybe I'll be proven wrong, but wanted to let you guys know another guy who's back, Connor Sheary. For the Penguins, he actually had two assists against the Sharks up to five points in five games now on the season. And looks like he started the game yesterday with Crosby and Horkvist, but ended up with Cullen and Fair. I'm not sure exactly what's going on with these Pittsburgh lines. Carl Hagelin ended up playing with Crosby and Horkvist and ended the game yesterday with three assists, one of them shorthanded. So he's up to five points on the season now. But yeah, so Connor Sheary's back. I'm not sure. Take a look at the Penguins lines before you add anyone. You might want to add Carl Hagelin. Brian, you talked about him a lot going into the season, being excited about him potentially playing on that HBK line. But obviously, if he's going to be playing with Hornqvist and Crosby, and that would be huge for a guy like Carl Hagelin, who has shown that he could put up points in the past in the right situation.
1: Yeah, big three assist game, only one shot on goal. So he's another guy who, like Palat, if he's not getting you points, he's really not doing a whole lot at all for you. Last year, he was able to average just over two shots on goal per game. This year so far, not even at that mark, about a shot and a half per game. I think it's going to be a blender for a while on that left side in Pittsburgh with Wilson and Sheary and Kunitz and Hagelin until, I don't know if they're going to settle on something that works or it's just going to keep moving around
0: yeah it's a bummer for connor Sheary, who was putting together a good season before he got injured uh, he had that good game yesterday but maybe don't get fooled into adding him if he's gonna be playing on like line four with matt cullen and eric fair but obviously we'll see what happens with connor sheri of course no one on pittsburgh aside from malkin crosby hornfist kessel and Latang is really super valuable just because those are the guys on the top power play and i guess kunitz if you're in a league that counts hits uh one more outjury i was going to mention david backus back from his elbow surgery that was like a weird thing but he was back pretty quickly went back to line two with a slumping david Creci and Ryan Spooner and yesterday no points minus two five hits which is great I guess Backus has that value in leagues that count hits but he only has one point in five games since his amazing first game of the year where we had two goals and one assist and that game if you recall he was playing with Martian and Pasternak before he got bumped for Bergeron coming back so David Backus he's back not too exciting if you're not looking for hits hopefully though Boston I guess we talked about Tori Krug so hopefully they could get something going with any player not named Bergeron Pasternak and Martian actually bergeron was someone who was looking like a cold streak guy but he's been good lately so i didn't even want to bring him up this week and then brian i'll give you one potentially coming back soon ouchery so just someone to watch i guess we already talked about Jokinen and biong said on florida but apparently evander kane has been practicing and you know he was dropped by a lot of teams in your league potentially wait in your league probably only dropped by one team but he was probably dropped in a lot of leagues after he sustained that rib injury after one game but you know evander kane he's pretty good when he plays right he's a huge injury risk you don't want to invest a lot in him but if he's a free agent right now i'd consider picking him up he gets so many shots on goal he had 20 goals in 65 games last season so he could score i like him when he's healthy so watch out for evander kane's return and also i think that could be good for sam Reinhart, who you know has been saddled with crappy line mates and he's still doing okay but obviously it'll help if he has evander kane back to play with
1: yeah for sure the interesting thing about evander kane you'd think he would have had more power play opportunity last year only six power play points and I'm not sure if that was his own fault or the fault of his deployment in 65 games played. Speaking of people who are benefiting from a return line, you mentioned Backus. Good news for Ryan Spooner and David Krejci, who now have like a full line. There's no Danton Heinen or Austin Tarnik filling in on that second line. Hopefully these three can get together and click or maybe swap a piece out with the top line. And then Boston will have two top lines going, which would be great news for poor Tory Krug.
0: Yeah. Let's go Boston. You've got five, Boston has five games next week. Okay. Can you please give me something? If I have five more games next week and no points from Torrey Krug, I am going to go freaking crazy. Okay. This has to happen. I have him in two of my leagues, Brian. I guess we're pretty much done the show. I have one more player. I'm going to end the show with one player unless you have someone you want to talk about. I had to mention, cause I was actually surprised about this when I found out, did you know that Alec Martinez has been on the top power play with Drew Dowdy this year in LA I assumed it was Jake Muzzin because it's been Muzzin the last couple of seasons, but no, it's been Alec Martinez. And Martinez is currently leading the team with nine points in 12 games played. He also has 30 shots on goal. He also has 26 hits and 22 blocks. So Alec Martinez has maybe quietly been one of the, most valuable fantasy defenseman this season, believe it or not, you know, compare that to Jake Muzzin, who only has one goal in the whole season. He's still giving the peripherals 30 hits and 21 blocks. But at this point, I assume if you have Muzzin and Martinez is available, I assume he's not, but you know, Brian, I assume now we got to take Martinez over Muzzin.
1: It seems that way, doesn't it? Nine points in 12 games played, although for all the power play time, he's gotten just two power play assists to date. And last year he had 13 power play points. So it's not a totally new thing for him to be seeing time with the man advantage. I like what I've seen from him so far. He has a better shots on goal per 60 rate this year than he did last year, averaging actually two and a half shots on goal per game, which is way ahead of what he had last year, which was less than or about one and a half shots on goal per game. Uh, Lots of threes and fours in the shots column for him, which is a very positive thing. So Alec Martinez, worth considering. I don't know if it's over Muzzin yet because I still feel like that spot hasn't totally been seeded to Martinez. Like I could see Muzzin just getting it back at some point in the near future. But maybe Martinez over Johan Ovitu? Oh come on,
0: that's like a hundred percent Martinez over all those guys like Zaitsev and Severson. Like Martinez has been on the top power play, and especially if your league counts hits and blocks and shots. Like to me, no brainer. He's been fantastic. I just feel like we didn't notice him. I don't even know why. Speaking of, like he's leading LA in points, like which is actually kind of disappointing for some other LA players. A lot of people have been asking about Kopitar, only six points so far. Drew Doughty, only five. Tyler Toffoli, I think only six points. I guess, Brian, before we end the show, any final comments back to the whole cold streak thing? I assume people shouldn't be worried about Kopitar and Toffoli.
1: No, absolutely not. Kopitar seems to do this frequently. Uh, he'll do nothing for a while, and then oh yeah, no big deal. 75 to 80 eighty-point pace. It's just a matter of when he starts doing that. And of course, Tofoli is going to be affected by that, or you know whatever's happening around him. Still, you know, I, I made my point earlier in the year that he's not about to break out for another thirty-goal, sixty-point season. But 50 to 55 points is still reasonable to expect.
0: Yeah. And by the way, Marion Gabryk, who should be in that top six at some point, apparently won't be back until December. So at least another month to wait for Marion Gabryk to maybe help spark. I don't think he's needed to spark Anze Kopitar. Okay, Brian, what a show. This has been so much fun. It's past 9.30, like always. And yeah, so thanks everyone for listening. Thanks, Brian, for all this research. If you like the show, we'd love to hear your feedback. Tweet us at Keeping Carlson. If you want to help us out, you can give us a five-star review on iTunes. We're also now in the Android store. I didn't even know that existed, but I signed up for it last week. So I don't even know if they have reviews, but if you like listening to podcasts on the Android store, we're there now. So there you go. But yeah, the iTunes review would be very much appreciated. Like I said, also like Brian mentioned in the middle of discussing one player, I don't even remember who it was, but you could become a patron of Keeping Carlson. I won't get too far into it, but we have the Facebook group which is a lot of fun. We have our monthly patron casts. So if you're interested in learning more about how to support the show and become a patron with, you know, like a beer for Brian or I once a month, $5 a month, keepingcarlson.com slash patron, but that's all I've got for you. Let's cue that outro music.
1: And Brian, why don't you go ahead and read us the credits. All right. This episode of the Keepin Carlson fantasy hockey podcast was presented by Dabra hockey and supported by our patrons. It was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Corsica Hockey, Hockey Analysis, Hockey Reference, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and tracks.
0: Great job, Brian. Also, by the way, like I said before, check out Draft. It's actually pretty cool. I like it. Try the promo code CARLSON to get that 100% deposit bonus. Great job, Brian, as always, and we'll catch you all live
1: next week at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, keepingcarlson.com slash live. And until next time, keep on keeping Carlson.